0: Welcome to Frictionless Marketing, an exploration of how modern marketers are building their brands, reaching their audiences, and thriving in this post-advertising world. The Luminaries Mentoring Circle is a conversation series on female leadership with Lippy Taylor, founder and chairwoman, Maureen Lippy, and Provoke Media's Artie Shaw. In this series, we invite the industry's most accomplished and respected leaders to provide mentorship and guidance for the industry's rising stars. At a time when PR professionals, especially women, are missing key opportunities for networking, we hope this series can help fill a void. This week's conversation is with Levi's CCO, Kelly McGinnis. Maureen and Kelly reflect on their career while providing guidance and key strategies for the marketing industry's rising female leaders. The conversation, moderated by Provoke's executive editor, Artie Shaw, covers the importance of trusting your instincts, the crucial workplace transitions that are necessary as professionals grow into leadership roles, why vulnerability builds effective and empathic leadership, and the long view on purpose and the pandemic. Without further ado, here is Levi Strauss, CCO, Kelly McGinnis, in conversation with Maureen Lippi and Artie Shaw.
1: Welcome to Provoke Media's Luminaries Mentoring Circle. This is a series in which we're partnering with Lippy Taylor to provide the peer industry's rising stars access to today's leaders, and particularly women, for mentorship and guidance. Today is a special episode that truly illuminates what it means to be a luminary. Um, We have two women on this episode that have been recipients of of Provoke Global's most prestigious recognition, which is our Individual Achievement Award. So, Kelly McGinnis uh, of Levi Strauss, and Kelly as a CEO is responsible for ensuring the company's values. And Kelly, let me know if I missed one. Empathy, originality, integrity, and courage um, are reflected in all of the company's communications touch points. We also have Maureen Lippi, who launched Lippi Taylor more than 30 years ago. Um, and her learn- is what? Hard to believe. Hard to believe, I know. But but her firm has been, or your firm rather, has been a pioneer in sort of new approaches to marketing um, consumer and healthcare products to women. Both Kelly and Maureen have been role models and mentors to so many women who now hold leadership positions in this industry. So welcome, Kelly and Maureen. Thanks. Thank Martha. you for having us. You know, so I think my, my, my brief summaries didn't do you both justice, so I would love if both of you can kind of give um, a little story around around how you um, arrived where you are today, and, and in that, if you could include sort of how you found your ambition, you know, where when was that moment where you really sort of accelerated, um, and, you know, give us a little bit of context around that. Um, Kelly, would you like to start?
2: Sure. So um, I started, I thought I was going to be a social worker and I got a degree in public administration and spent uh, the first years of my career in local government and um, regional government. I always say this is before the days of parks and recreation, but, you know, my big ambition was to be the deputy director of parks in Seattle. And, um, (laughs) When I realized that, you know, those jobs don't really open up unless someone dies or retired, it was going to be a long time going. And so I had done a bunch of internships when I was young. And so um, I returned to Fleshman Hillard, which was one of those and um, started working in agencies and so spent many years doing agencies, getting the chance to see sort of our profession in action, right? The thing I love about agencies is that everybody there does what you do. So it's not one person's perspective, but it's hundreds of people that you can really learn from and see it in action. Um, and then, you know, I got invited to be a spokesperson and in-house role. And it sort of terrified me that, that it wasn't going to be writing talking points, but delivering them. So um one of my pieces of advice is always if something's terrifying that's probably exactly the thing you should do and so um stepped into that and have pretty much toggled between in-house and agency roles ever since and um you know I don't know that I think I thought I was going to make a career out of being the, a great number two, like the person who could translate sort of big picture and big ideas into execution and action, and then um, got the opportunity to actually lead the team and realize you don't really want to go back after you get that opportunity. And so if you ask when I found my ambition, I think it was really when I realized the opportunity to do a part of our job as opposed to the full spectrum of the um skills being under your purview would feel really limiting and also kind of stepping in and having getting the opportunity to make the decisions as opposed to execute on behalf of other folks and um, that that combination really it both as I said terrifies me a little but it's also gets me keeps me going every morning. Maureen I'll I'll hand it over to you. Sure Um, I started my career
3: Actually, at Vogue magazine, and I started out as an intern. In those days, they called it a, you were a rover, and you would rove around to all the magazines, and you would hopefully find a place where you would land. And I always, I always wanted to be at Vogue, so I was very fortunate. I was at House and Garden. I was at Mademoiselle, Glamour, all the all the different magazines. And finally, a job opened up in the fashion department at Vogue, and I was dying for it. And I and I and I and I got it so i eventually became fashion editor at vogue went over to harper's bazaar as senior fashion editor which was great and then i always say my you know my world opened up when they actually insisted that i become the the beauty director so i said sure i'll do that but i was so reluctant because i i hated to leave all my 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 designer friends but really in in magazines the the all the advertising came from beauty so it was it was an interesting place to be but then i decided um, to leave publishing and go go off on my on my own as a really as a consultant and i too became a spokesperson to everybody from p&g and clarol and uh, just all, a lot a lot of beauty and fashion firms and did that for a few years and it was it was it was a wonderful experience and i had one client who i was hired to do their pr and i you know as an editor didn't know much about pr except as a beauty editor, all the big brands that were trying to, to get into the magazines, we're not, they were not doing anything really exciting or innovative. I would get product in a, in a shopping bag and um, it would really go into a big black hole. So after having a, uh, my son, I just thought there has to be a better way to market to media um, w- through public relations. There has to be more innovation, more creativity, more breakthrough, when a product comes into an editor's office, it should sing, it should have a life of its own. Um, so I really decided I, I, would, I would start an agency and I would start obviously in beauty. My first client was Erno Laszlo, which was a very um, prestigious skincare line, which I knew a lot about because if you worked at Vogue, you had to be on Erno Laszlo. So that was my first um, real client. Um, and what I realized in the magazine world, and this is something that's important to me, I realized that I was never going to make a lot of money. Um, that might sound terrible, but there was kind of a ceiling on what a woman could make in, in the magazine business. I was—I had brothers, and so I, was, I used to see the James Bond movies, and something that occurred to me at a very young age was I wanted to be the Bond girl. I wanted to be her because I wanted to go to all those places. I wanted to be able to go to and places I never had seen, never even knew existed, but I loved that lifestyle. And I thought, well, if I want that, I'm going to have to work really hard, and I'm going to have to be really smart and choose, yeah, my passion and my joy. But where's the, you know, where's the money in that, in that passion and that joy? So starting my own company was the beginning of of kind of living that um, that dream and that nightmare at the same time. And I, I agree with, with Kelly, you know, embracing fear and being fearless and being able to accept change very carefully and quickly are things that are just so important. So it was scary. It was a startup. And I think, you know, all women should have the advantage of being at a startup. I think you learn a lot about how you grow a business through a startup. So it was um, it was very interesting. And here's here we are, thirty years later, and we're we're still in business and we're doing very well. Thank God, um, surviving COVID as best as we can. I sometimes I say we're hanging by our cuticles, but um, but it's but it's good, and we're we're in business and we're taking very good care of our people, I'm very concerned about them, um, not just from a business perspective, but from an emotional and a, and a mental health perspective as well. So um,
1: so that's that was my yeah. start. And, and Marina, and I, I want to circle back on some of the things that, that you, you talked about, but I, but I do think it's notable that you know you, you came of age in an era where we didn't see female CEOs in this business. I mean, that's relatively yeah. new. I mean, unless you were a founder, that was really the way to have that top job. Um right. it's, it's shockingly recent, you know, um, in terms of how we what we've seen at the, the network agencies in terms of seeing women in, in leadership positions there, or at least in the in the global CEO positions. Right. So I, I want to talk about something that Kelly also mentioned about, you know, sort of the, you know, what you when you realize how satisfying it is to be that person who's making the decisions and not necessarily just sort of implementing other people's. And and you know, and that's also this sort of transition to management. And this is challenging, I think, for many in our business. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about advice um, for in particular, you know, Lee women as they sort of move into this decision-making role. And also, if you can talk a little bit about your management style, um, what it is now and sort of how it how it evolved to be to be where it is. Well, I, I would say the first thing
3: that that I learned is you really have to trust your gut. You have to trust your instincts and and your, and your, intu- your intuition. And we're in such a, a world of data and analytics and process. And that's so important. But what I learned was so often my gut instinct was the right decision and it wasn't always the right decision. I, you know, I made a lot of mistakes as well, but I, I always go back to, you know, the, the, just trusting your, 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 your gut. And, and I think as women, we have to stop saying, we're sorry. I hear that all the time. Women saying, I'm sorry. And I, it's something I'm, you know, I I say to them, stop saying that. And I think you have to get out of your comfort zone and you have to be around people that, that really push you and drive you and that are not just, you know, not just peers that make you feel comfortable, make you feel um, better. And I, I think it's really important to create a culture, mm-hmm. uh, really a really a a culture of belonging. Everybody, you know, has to feel that they belong to some place that's special, um, and that includes, of course, diversity um, and inclusion. But I think belonging is very is very important also. Right. So um, i uh, I'd love to hear what 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 um, Kelly has to say.
2: Yeah, the way I thought about your question, Archie, was that sort of what is different about the front half of your career and the second half of your career, right? And sort of when you make that transition. And I have a great mentor, um, John Anoda, who I'm sure all of us are familiar with, who um, talks about this really well. And... Uh, One of the things that I think in the early stages of your career, it's incredibly important to, particularly those of us who are working, have worked in client service, you make yourself indispensable, right? Like you're absolutely the most reliable person that you can be. You understand you're always trying to think one step ahead 100% and think and anticipate what the needs are going to be and how can you be to um, Maureen's perspective a little bit more creative on the execution? How can you just differentiate every single time and push yourself a little bit more incrementally each time? But then in the second half of your career, it really switches. So it is not about how, yes, of course you have to be reliable and do what you say you're going to do, but suddenly what you become responsible for is resources. Resource allocation in terms of building the influence and the impact in your companies, so that you get the resources that you need on behalf of your teams. That you're thinking about sort of where can people really play to your, their strengths, but also not get bored and continue to grow. And so that transition becomes how do you become responsible for securing those resources, laying the pathway and the influence within the organization that your teams can be successful? And it's really not the same skills at all. I got to be honest. Like, and it's very hard to not defer to that, I'm just going to be the most reliable member of the team. And that is not the role that you want to play when you're at the executive table. And so I mean, you definitely want to be reliable, but you don't want to be the person who's like, taking the notes and making sure that everybody captures the decisions and all the follow ups, right. And so I do think that the skill set is a transition. And you almost have to really tell yourself, I'm doing something different today. My responsibility to my team is different than what it was early on. And so I think that's one of the big pieces of it. In terms of management style, you know, I think um, we are in a different era, right? And I think that what people value is accessibility, authenticity, not to use an overused word, but really that vulnerability of we're all in it together. I think that, you know, as we've been in shelter in place during this pandemic more than anything it's the been the humanity of how we're all dealing with some version of this um, and how challenging it's been that's made it incredibly um, it's the, the loyalty has been sparked even further by being able to share that we're all trying struggling and what we're working toward and it's different for everyone but being open to that and understanding and just really opening up I mean our Homes are now our offices, our schools, our homes, everything. And opening that up and, you know, letting our teams in and really being really like what's it going to take just for us to get through it? Because I know like everyone, we're all working harder than we ever have worked, but we're having to do it under extraordinary circumstances. And I think that in particular, just really being as human as you can and still drive for the results and take care for that has been is sort of what's been defining in my mind. And it's certainly what sparks my loyalty to my leaders.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Kelly, I want to follow up on,
1: on something. And I love how you kind of broke this up into kind of two parts of your career. Um, one of the things that, that Kelly, you, you you probably know this, but you have a reputation as, as being one of the best managers in this business. And one anecdote that I, I heard um, from someone who worked for you was that you had this amazing way of removing obstacles for your team. And I'm curious, you know, and, and what, what this person said was um, they've had many managers since you and, and, and has, that's never been the case, again, in the same way anyway. Um, so I'm curious if you have any advice on, on how, you know, those in a leadership position can sort of help remove sort of obstacles for their teams to sort of optimize their ability to do, to do their job.
2: I think it really is just an awareness of that that's part of the role. So when I say it's about securing resources, making sure that people are playing to strengths, clearing obstacles is a piece of it. And so if you think of that as the day job is how do I lay that path so that people can go and do what they are passionate about? And, you know, we have to behind closed doors make sure like we debate hard, right? We discuss, debate, we decide, and then we figure out how we sell it to the organization. And so I think it really is just a self, like so many things, it's a self-awareness and calling it what it is. But I don't think it's anything more complicated than that is that you move beyond sort of the subconscious to the conscious and make a decision that that's one of the things that is your responsibility to your team. Mm
1: -hmm. So let's let's talk a little bit. You know, I was actually w- wanting to talk about the pandemic and its impact on your teams. And both Maureen and Kelly, you all both sort of address that and empathy and the humanity that's required right now. So let's talk a little bit about skill sets and what. I don't. I know it's. I know predictions are falling out of favor, but a little bit of you know looking forward around how skill sets may have evolved on on, on the back of this, and how sort of you know work environments are going to change on, on the back of this pandemic. So, you know, short of saying, you know, let's make a bold prediction for 2021. Um, I, I'm curious, you know, to hear your perspectives around, you know, what are some of the permanent changes that we'll carry with us?
3: Well, I I, I think that as an agency with a lot of people who have to work collaboratively um, and who have to really develop programming and strategic plans together, it's it's we have found... I that it's, it's really, it's, it's difficult because we're not all in one room. We're not, we're not running into each other. We're not really exploring ideas together. It's hard in the new business process we have found. Um, it's, it's just, it's, it's more difficult because that, that, that spark, that, that creativity that you feel when you're together as a group is just, is not there. We try to get it on zoom, but it's, it's, it's missing. So I think from my standpoint, um, as coming out of an an agency I I think being in an office is never going to go away I think there will be times when it will be important for us to all meet in the office but I don't think that it'll ever be it'll ever be a requirement to come in I think there might be moments but I think the whole office setup is going to change so much Is I think everything is going to change um but we as a, I mean, some companies have shut down their offices and will never open their offices again. I've spoken to so many men who said they haven't had ever had a dinner. Have, and it, my accountant said he's never had dinner with his family. Um, now he's home and now he's staying home because he will never not have dinner with his family. So wonderful things are coming out of of, of the pandemic. But I think in our business, there will always be times when we need to get together and, and brainstorm and whiteboard and figure out how we're going to solve the problems of certain clients. So from that perspective, I think I don't think that that part of it is is going to change. I'm sure Kelly's think, business, it's different.
2: Yeah, I think for us, I'd say a couple of things. First and foremost, I think it's given us the spotlight of how every individual circumstance is different and how we don't know sort of everything that people are managing and sort of You know, we have people who are dying to get back to the office and we have other folks who don't really see themselves ever going back to the office and they're able to juggle more than they ever were before. We have people who feel like their careers have been able to take huge step leaps in terms of the contributions and access and things that they're able to do during this time. And then we have other folks who are like, all I'm doing is trying to keep my kids on their Zoom as much as they can. And I feel like it's constantly a compromise. And so I think that piece of it of understanding sort of what people are juggling and empathy that goes with that and understanding that there's no one solution. I think we used to live in a world where there was one solution and then we all fit to sort it. And now we're switching to a place where there has to be a whole spectrum of solutions that are available to folks. And then we have to find those moments in time when we come together. Maureen, the way I think about what you said is it's almost like an accordion, right? Like we all have to come together to keep the team coherent and aligned, but then we're going to go apart and come together and it's going to be much more of that as we go forward. I think the other thing that we've seen in every aspect of our business is just that the digitization of every process has just accelerated, right? So in very real commercial terms, you know, things that we were doing, like if you looked at our roadmap of what we were going to be able to do in e-commerce and other things, it was months and years down the road. And those things all got pulled forward and got done in weeks. Um, but also, like, I, I like to tell the story of the Thursday before shelter in place went in place in San Francisco, which is where we have, you know, a, a thousands of employees. Um, we had planned a An exercise. So we were all going to see what happens if everybody had to suddenly stay home and Tuesday was going to be the exercise day. And we had gone through all this effort and coordination of, and then we weren't even going to do everybody because that would be way too much to deal with. So I think it was like a 50% or something. We had the memo out, like Tuesday is the test day, et cetera, et cetera. And then Saturday came and everything shut down and it wasn't even a thing. And us learning that we could make the transition to teams that we could make a transition to a digital environment i think has just been it's been really empowering for people to feel much more confident in what they can explore what they can test what they can try in a way that you know before we were much more sort of had long time frames big budgets to be able to feel confident about it and other things Um, And then the last thing I'd say is that so much of our work we can do remote, right? I don't think, like, coming from an organization that's 167 years old, while we're very progressive in our social policies, we're a little less so in terms of our work environment. And I feel like we have made that step change now, right? So having come from most of my career, RT, as you know, was in technology. Having come from technology to retail, it was a real culture shift in terms of, like, People leave notes on my chair, you know, like that's that that's the kind of culture we were. And now we've really embraced that people can work from anywhere, anytime. And the number of folks who have moved, particularly during the pandemic to, you know, different parts of the country and they're still very present and their loyalty for being able to be there. For their families and the other things that they have committed has only increased their productivity. And so I think the understanding the individual uh, needs and experiences is going to change dramatically, and then that's going to tra- translate to changes for real estate and all the other aspects of the business. Mm-hmm.
1: Kelly, your point about about you know being progressive on on social on social issues, I I, I want to circle back on on purpose before we wrap up. But I but but before that, I, was it a couple years ago that when you were at, on one of our roundtables, you just talked about and tell me. Sorry if I got this wrong, the cow sourcing model. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so has, you know, and I think the idea was, you know, even though it'd be given the talent crunch in, in the Bay Area is looking to some of these other markets um, for, um, you know, to, 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 to employ folks. Um, do you think the pandemic has accelerated that or how has that shifted sort of that, that cow sourcing model?
2: You know, for us, that actually hasn't really changed. And I think because part of what's been important is the work has been so intense that we've doubled down on our relationships and our strategic partners are more deeply (laughs) aligned with us. We're leaning on them harder than we ever have. And this hasn't been a time for us to reevaluate strategic relationships. Um, We just have to get too much done right now. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, we were kind of joking this morning. It's getting it done in an environment where some of the personal stuff that I was talking about means that you're always like one person down, right? Like there's always someone, whatever that is. And we're just, we're a strong enough team that we always cover each other, but we are not at full capacity. And we're definitely being challenged because comms is so much in the middle of the conversation since the crisis has started. Yeah. So, mm-hmm.
1: so let's talk a little bit um, quickly about purpose. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, Levi's, you, know, you all are, to your point, uh, have been, you know, leaders and pioneers um, on this front. And and Maureen, I know I know you all have have done um, some great work um, for some of your brands around this as well. So, you know, we we just had an election decided in the United States. Um, and I'm curious, you know, if folks that are kind of moving into maybe leadership roles, how do you think they need to look at purpose over the next four years? Do you think anything is going to change or, or evolve, especially as as we see kind of a a new government um, take over, or... I I don't think purpose will ever fall away. I think it's more
3: important now than ever. And I think part of it is young people in this country, uh, you know, our young millennials and Gen Zers, they demand brands, uh, they buy brands that have a purpose and they understand which brands have a purpose and which brands don't so it's it's really a business imperative i think these days and it's a business imperative for companies like Libby taylor and, and of course levi strauss who i think has led the way um for purpose and 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 inclusion it, it's there's no way around it i and i i think you can drive profit through purpose um at, there's there's no question that 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 certainly on my from my end of it clients expected they want to know before they hire an agency what is your what is the what is the purpose what is the focus of the agency what do you stand for um what are your passions what you know what do you what do you personally as a as an agency and as a company committed to and of course you know our, our our people are always first talent is the most important thing in our company. And we're so blessed, as I'm sure Kelly is too, to have had people who have been with us for a very long time. So we have, first and foremost, have to make sure that their purpose is 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 met and that they feel that they're working for a company that cares about them, but also has a broader uh, view of the world and cares about taking care of not just the world, but local communities as well. So I don't think personally or professionally um, that, purpose will will ever ever go away or ever wane it's 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 front and center at our at certainly at our company and i think at most other companies too and we're searching to see how we can be um even more important and how we can take more pro bono clients and how we can um help communities people in underserved communities as again as a as pro bono projects we've taken on a number of them just in the last in the last year. And it's something that makes all our people feel so good because they, they want to be involved and they and they expect their company to help them um, get involved. So purpose is definitely here to stay and is is growing and expanding and becoming more and more important from you know from our perspective.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, we live in an era of stakeholder value creation, right? Mm -hmm. And that isn't going to undo itself. And so of coming from a company that's 167 years old, I think my generation of leadership just feels like we're stewards who have a responsibility to live up to the tremendous leadership that's led before us, right? And so this is a company that, to Maureen's point, has been on the forefront particularly with young people who have demanded change in the world, and we've tried to step up to that. You know, you mentioned the election, and um, recently we really rallied around um, getting out the vote. And I'm incredibly proud to see that the U.S. had its highest voter turnout since, as a percentage since 1900, Mm -hmm. when women didn't even have the vote at the time, right? And so... It and what we did there was really we basically just said, What's in our toolkit and how can we help contribute to the conversation? And we partnered with other folks in, from a communications perspective to recruit other companies to make sure that their employees had time to vote. So, um, With In partnership with Patagonia and PayPal, we put together more than 1,800 companies and more than 10 million employees were confirmed that they'd have the chance to vote. And that was just one the next stage of when we said, how can we help? And I don't think any administration change is going to change that sense of we have a commitment to the communities that we support and how can we make sure that we're contributing to everybody having their place. You know, as a brand, the Levi's brand's purpose is authentic self-expression and, you know, using your voice seems first and foremost, the way to do that. And we're always looking at ways to help empower that both for our consumers and our fans, but for our employees as well. Mm-hmm.
1: So w- w- we need to wrap up soon, but, but I, but I have, a, I have a closing question and that is what's the, and it's, it's a two-parter um, what's the best advice that you got? And I think Kelly, I think you actually, you actually answered that earlier in the, in the conversation, but um, and then also like what, do you have any regrets or things that you would do differently um, that you would like to share with, um, with, you know, our rising, rising leaders? Um, so I will uh, let either one of you jump in and, and Kelly's writing. So Maureen, do you want to, do you want to say? Sure. Say sure. In, uh, for me, I,
3: I think being able to take risks early on, in your career is really important. And I, I took a risk, but I, when I look back, I probably could have taken more risks. Um, I, something that I think is really important is for everybody to have like a, a a board of directors, a board of important people who could help you coming up. Having mentors is so important. And I had some, I had some great ones um, who are still my mentors. And I also think that, that, what I love in my company is the younger people in the company become my mentors. And I learn so much from them just doing that reverse mentoring. They tell me things about the company that are wonderful. They tell me things that aren't so wonderful. I always ask them if there's one thing that I could do to make things better for you, what would it be? And I remember years ago, it was unanimous. Everybody yelled out jeans on Friday, jeans on Friday, done so easy so the 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 mentoring part of it is 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 so important um and i i i i just think you have to just really create a culture of people that believe that you are there for them and i think listening is so important it is so important to listen to the people that you work with i also think it's important to 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 be heard and to speak up and to speak loudly, and you know, don't let anybody talk over you. If you've got an idea, you've got to get it out. Um, there was a Stanford report that said assertive and, and confident women really um, they get more promotions than other women and even other men because they know how to use their persuasion um, in ways that are that are 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 very interesting. Um, so I think not being afraid to fail, having courage, listening to your intuition being oh, crazily curious. Reading is so important. Reading business books is so important. I learned so much from business books and, and, and business platforms. Uh, all of this is so important. You've got to be in the game and you've got to follow your passion. You've got to, got to know where your joy is. But again, I'll repeat, you know, when you, when you find your joy and your passion, look at it from a, from a financial perspective as well. And maybe that's, you know, that's not how you roll, but I think it's important. It was to me to find my passion, loved working at the magazines, Vogue, Bazaar, it was great. I couldn't believe I even got paid. But then as I got a little bit older, I realized, no, I'm starting a family. I'm starting a life. I I want to make more money and I want to be a real entrepreneur. So I started my own company. I really didn't have a business plan, um, but it all worked out. So you just have to have the courage, the perseverance, the resilience to just get out there and do it.
1: Maureen, I, I love that that you're that that you have pointed that out. That like that the financial piece of this should not be overlooked, and women don't need to apologize for that and for seeking it exactly. out. So I, so I I love that you said that. So um, kudos. Um, all right, Kelly Kelly, do you want to do you want to give your best advice on anything that you would have done differently?
2: Yeah, I'm going to keep it short. I'd say first and foremost, choose jobs on getting the opportunity of the people you're going to work with, not based on the content. You can always learn content and don't pigeonhole yourself in terms of industry or individual um, topics. Second, I would say is you know, one of the things that's really magical about what we do is there's a breadth of sub professions within it. There's crisis, there's product work, there's employee communications, there's a whole breadth of work. And people should be keeping track of like, you don't want to specialize too early in your career. Because the thing is, is you'll get opportunities as a specialist, but you need to be a generalist for the senior roles. And so keep track in your mind of Have I had that opportunity? Have I worked on financial communications? Have I not? And honestly, there's this odd thing that I always tell my team that they look at me like it's a little woo woo. But if you raise your hand and say, I want to have an opportunity to work on X, whatever it is, They'll come your way. Somewhere in six to eight weeks, an opportunity comes up. If you say it out loud, people start to think about it and connect dots and you'll get invited in on it. So be thinking about sort of the subspecialties within what we do and don't overly focus, but make sure you have the opportunity to work on all of them and that you start to really get your... Um, experience across the breadth and then I'd say my biggest regret are decisions that I've made out of fear so whenever I feel like I don't want to make a change because I'm fearful that I won't be able to recreate what I have all of my step changes in my career have come about when I've basically embraced the fear and jumped into something that I was pretty sure would I'd be terrible at so um, that would be the one that I would say is a regret is when you let that be the deciding factor
1: that's yeah. great, Kelly. And Kelly, I, I want to just have a quick follow-up to you, uh, to your question, uh, to your statement about the generals versus specialists. Is it necessary to become a specialist at this point? I mean, right, I mean, there was this, at the beginning of COVID, everybody said, we're all crisis communicators now. And, of course, I spoke to some crisis communicators that were like, no, that's not actually true, you know, or we're all tech companies now, or, you know, because of the the stakeholder, you know, the sort of new updated business roundtable, this idea that all stakeholders are on equal footing. And, you know, maybe we don't need to look at investors in a a completely different way than we look at everybody else in the community. Um, So, I mean, what's your take on do people have to make that choice now um, anymore?
2: I think of it as like a major and a minor. I think absolutely you have to differentiate yourself by being deep in one um, practice, really understanding it, and being a legitimate, you know, expert in that area. But then you also need to make sure that you continue to build out the breadth of your experience across the board. Because it, when you do get considered for the management roles and the more senior roles, you ha- the first thing they look at is have you done across all the spectrums of the must-dos that you have to. So mm-hmm. it's a the answer is an and, it's not one or the other. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Kelly and Maureen, thank you so much for this conversation. I mean, you know, we're, we're trying to fill this void right now because we can't meet in person. There aren't these networking events that are happening. So we're trying to build, bring voices like yours into the fold to, to help um, sort of the rising leadership. Um, and this was the first and, and hopefully a series of these that we'll be doing. And, and I couldn't think of two better people to kick this off with, so thank you.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with your friends and colleagues on LinkedIn? Don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Taylor. that's L-I-P-P-E-T-A-Y-L-O-R.com. And to learn more about us and our agency, visit us at LippyTaylor.com. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for listening to Frictionless Marketing. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to check out Paul's best-selling book, Friction Fatigue, what the failure of advertising means for future-focused brands. In Friction Fatigue, Paul explains to readers why advertising is broken and provides a frictionless marketing framework to help build your brand in an era where advertising is no longer the answer. You'll learn how to protect your business against competitors and lead the pack with fresh marketing strategies that will help you prepare for a future where the consumer rules. Friction Fatigue is now available on Amazon and as a book on tape on Audible.com. Thanks again for listening.